Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Tony Weinbender of The Fest. We talked about Avail's 1994 album, Dixie. We also talk about growing up in the South, learning about punk as a community, and positive role models. We also get a glimpse into a traveling festival that never was. So go to thefestfl.com for lineup info. Not really sure why you'd be listening to this and not know what The Fest is, but... If sincerely that's the case, then check out the site. Also, if you like what we do on the main feed, then please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month and get an exclusive episode every week. It really sincerely helps, and I'm loving doing the episodes with Sarah. I think you'll love them too, so please subscribe. Okay, no delays. Let's chat with Tony. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Oh, good, bud. Um, living life in Gainesville in the sweltering heat. Uh, summer has already kicked off to be pretty brutal down here. It's in like late June, creeping on early July. And yeah, we're, I don't, I, I've lived here since 2000 and I don't remember it being this like just punishing <laughs> is a good word yeah. for it right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I've lived in the southeast for my whole life, and every summer I feel like I'm not ready for it. Like, like I don't know, you know, like people are like, oh, you know, if you were from up north, you'd you'd understand. Like, you get used to like the cold or something, and it's like, well, I've never gotten used to the humidity, so I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, it's yeah. the humidity. I mean, I'm from Virginia. I grew up there. It's similar. It's, I feel like the summers are the same there too. When I go back up to Virginia in the summer to visit family or visit friends in Richmond and stuff, it's just like, fuck, this is the same as Gainesville. Um, but yeah, but things are good. You know, we're gearing up for a big fest year, fest 20 year anniversary. So I'm working a lot on that. Uh, just um, became a dad for the first time. So that's a whole wow. different like world you know, he just turned mm-hmm. three months. So every day is like a new thing. And you just like your mind just fucking goes, you know, every day of like stuff that you, t- if I brought it up, you'd be like, ah. you know, it's like, it's just dumb dad and mom stuff with the child. Like, oh my God, look at him do this, you know? Um, oh yeah. Is it just like the walking thing or there? Oh, not, not yet at three months. It's he's yeah, just like, not. like last night we like had this like, thing we found at goodwill it's like a little like padded keyboard thing that like has little keys on it like a keyboard but they're pictures of animals and you're supposed to like at this point the baby he hasn't set up he just lays and but he kicks a fuckload right and so he kicks the keyboard and just to watch his little brain just go oh shit i kicked that and this light came on and then it started talking to me and played some music well if i kick with my other foot different stuff happened and it was a matter of like a minute, his brain just went crazy and he was like punching and kicking and we're just like laughing. And I was like crying because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and it's just those like weird little moments that like, I feel like fatherhood has made me appreciate just everything more. And also my patience is like so much more because 
when you have like a this small human just screaming at you and crying and you don't know why like yeah. when idiots are fucking screaming at you and crying and whining about stuff you're just kind of like fuck off man like, you yeah. know, just your your woes are just like yeah i imagine yeah well but things are good thanks for having me on no no problem yeah i'm happy to see you uh but today we are talking about avail's 1994 album dixie that came out on lookout records and it was re-released in 2006 on jade tree so what i'll ask is when was the first time you heard avail or this album so avail i heard before this album um growing up in roanoke virginia where i was from was about two hours uh southwest of richmond where avails from and roanoke didn't have a very big uh punk scene you know there was like you know we play i played in a band called swank back then and we were kind of this weird like hybrid punk band with horns that people would be like, oh, you're a ska band, but we didn't know what ska was type thing. <laughs> like we knew more like funk and Red Hot Chili Peppers shit mm -hmm. mixed with Fugazi. But Avail was like, you know, and then there would be like a, a like a, a, a weird like thrash type metal band called Private Property that was from there. And then we had like the weird like Ebolition type like hardcore band mm. that we were friends with called like Integration. And then like, Richmond would have like there was a pop punk band from called Whirly Bird from Richmond that would come down. So there wasn't like it was almost like there was like one kind of band for every little subgenre of punk rock. Yeah, yeah. But then a veil yeah. was just a veil. You know, there was all these like anthems that were poppy, and then you had Bo on and Tim both on stage like dancing, not like hardcore, and they were pissed off but they were singing about it. That seemed more of like an uplifting thing. Um, it would be like hardcore and the fact that like people would kind of mosh. And in Roanoke, it was weird. Like Tim would always from Avail would always make fun of Roanoke when he would come because we were like one of the last towns, I think on the planet that still everybody circle pitted back then. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody got into like the mosh in the mid nineties in Roanoke. It was just like, you got in the circle pit and you ran as fast as you could and hope that the like older kids didn't like trample you um <laughs> you know and if you talk to tim like in the early days of coming to roanoke too they were uh, one of the bands that actively really got rid of a lot of the the last bit of nazis punks that were in roanoke scene in the south you know in the south in the 90s there was still a lot of like just shitty nazis and in, in all the scenes in every town you know in north carolina south carolina hell i mean i mm -hmm. came to gainesville on tour in 94 and outside the hardback some nazis tried to fuck with us because our guitar player was wearing a fishbone fuck racism shirt um so avail was like the big band like when avail came to town everybody came out and by everybody it was like maybe two three hundred people um, wow. but it was like every age group came out avail was the shit to, to go see and then we would kind of like drive to richmond to see them anytime they'd play um and they were just kind of like you know it was those things so satiate was like the album they had out mm -hmm. and uh that's what we like you know as i think the first like punk rock lp i ever owned was satiate um, and we all had it and it was just kind of like, you just kept listening to it, listening to it. It was like that and Fugazi, but Fugazi didn't yeah. come to our town, you know, 
we couldn't go up to Fugazi and, and, and buy merch direct from them. We couldn't talk to them about like, what's it like and to be on tour or to like do things. And I don't know, they were kind of like the big brothers of the scene, especially even though they weren't from Roanoke, they were always, we kind of looked, looked up to Avail. Everybody did and, and, and just followed their word on everything, you know? Yeah. I, I'm trying to think like, when you were listening to uh, Avail in the early days, because I just kind of had this thought today, I was like, what What would you say that you think that they were influenced by musically? See, that's the weird thing because I don't know. Because being, being like, you know, seeing them at like 15, 14, things like that, you know, 16, we didn't coming from Roanoke, we, we didn't have the yeah. reference you know we didn't see a lot mm -hmm. of bands there wasn't a lot that came through um there wasn't a lot of older punks that influenced us there wasn't like a lot of passed down music you know in the high school we went to in botetot county there were no punks older than us um our main yeah. influence was skate videos and mtv um and that you know we pick up a thrasher magazine you look at the ads and you would mail order stuff so like a lot of the, the influential punk bands that everybody grew up on, I didn't find out until way later in my life, it was, which I think kind of helped make my uh -huh. palette very diverse and not be so fucking punk judgmental about shit. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't know really. I think for Avail, you know, I definitely think the discord uh, element of like, you know, minor threat Fugazi uh, had influence with them. There was uh, bands on Discord like Rains Like the Sound of Trains, I think, that might have not directly, you know, uh, Soul Side, things like that. Um, but I think Avail was very much like how we were from Roanoke. They grew up, mm -hmm. you know, on the outsides of Richmond, small towns. Uh, and I think they just kind of pulled themselves together and created a created a band and that's why they have a unique sound that doesn't sound like other things is that they were just kind of like here's the different elements they're thrown into a pot and this is the music that came out as the final recipe yeah like i was asking a friend today because i was kind of curious because uh, it's like nothing really sounds like a veil there might be things now that sound like them after the fact but it's like in their time frame i was like not exactly and so almost like Oh, they were probably influenced by Bouncing Souls, but I'm like, they really couldn't have been because, like, they put out their first record, uh, Bouncing Souls put out their first record the same year as Dixie, which is uh, Dixie's their second record. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, not likely, but I know that Bouncing Souls had, like, earlier kind of EPs and stuff, but I'm like, kind of knowing how regional things were at these time frames, like, I, it's like, I doubt it. So it's like, I feel like there's a possibility, like, you know, and I usually don't, I don't go in these directions, but it just kind of, I was like, what is this? But I think it's just a veil. I think that's a hundred percent. And I think you're right yeah. with souls. I think souls were more peers at that yeah. time. And it's kind of like with like hot water music. Well, what did hot water music sound like, you know? And it was like, I think them, they were kind of like influenced by things like a veil and then becoming peers of a veil in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and like you were talking about it was very regional during those time periods especially in these small towns in in, in the south in the southeast of, of you know the region um there wasn't many bands in each town and it felt like when you toured through you 
every band from that town would play you know if a veil played there'd probably be four or five openers uh you know and it'd be like every little punk band would would play with them and then when you those bands would go to richmond they would get traded off by like not necessarily avail all the time but the other bands that maybe avail was friends with would help them set up shows um you know at that same time period of avail there was also inquisition you know which later became very yeah. much so what strike anywhere is because of thomas and stuff and there was there was just like a scene you know richmond didn't have too many bands i mean you had big names like guar you know and like you'd go to richmond and you would see guar and have a veil smaller underneath opening up um and i can't yeah. you know you know things like that so like when you say like what were they influenced by i i don't know i think they moved richmond like a lot of bands did during that time period because richmond had vcu and that was the cool that was the cool art school and so if you were from small little towns all around virginia you, you your goal was to go to this mecca of richmond and most people went there tried college dropped out art school dropouts played punk bands you know in richmond yeah yeah another thing i was thinking of was how do you feel, and you probably don't have an answer to this, uh, it's kind of more of a hindsight thing, like how big do you think that they were in that moment? I mean, drawing 200 to 300 kids is pretty big, especially for a place like Roanoke, you know, but it's like nationally, because I, I think the conversation kind of changes when we look back, like, you know, for a bad example, but I was, uh, I was working on something today and there was a uh, Grateful Dead show from like 1967. And the show never happened because they said not enough tickets were sold. And that's a strange thing to think of in hindsight, especially given them. But I'm like, that kind of legend of bands kind of changes over so many years. So it's like, do you did you get a sense of people kind of outside of the Virginia area kind of having a relationship with Avail around this time? You know, it... I how I remember it is that like they were like the biggest shit to come through Roanoke always and if we were touring down through the southeast in a small band there was a band that we could relate to because they heavily toured through the southeast so if we were playing in in Gainesville and I'm sitting up all night talking with Jason Black from Hot Water that was a band that we would talk about uh, but yeah. I do remember being um I toured on Warp Tour um a lot in the late 90s and early 2000s and i don't know which warp tour it was but i think i was out i know i was out with hot water music uh traveled out there with them but i think i was just selling merch for fuel by ramen at the time on their tent and avail was doing a run of that tour as well as get up kids um trying to think of some of the other bands that were on the tour at that time and the, you know when, especially when we went out to west coast it was like nobody cared about hot water music nobody cared about a bail um nobody cared about get up kids and jimmy world another one or during that time period that was on those tours and it was just one of those things like you know they just never really caught on out there you know i talked to friends even though they were on lookout um out, i think outside of the bay area Vail was never really big out on the west coast um i think Mecca's like uh, Chicago, probably they were still really big because of things like Fireside Bowl being such an influential venue in Chicago and, you know, uh, being able to support bands like Avail they were coming through. But, you know, I think they definitely didn't get their due uh, when they were 
you know, in the end, I mean, when did they break up? Like two, 2006? Yeah, maybe? something like that. So those like, maybe a little so those little, years of those 2000s where all these bands were really trying and trying their best, they never really got their dues. And I think that now that Avail is back and playing very limited shows, they're way bigger and drawing way big more people than they yeah. ever have because there's that generation that never got to see them. Then there's the generation like my age, it's in their forties who are like, remember it so favorably and it makes a big deal. Like when we went to see them play, granted Richmond's a different story. In Richmond, yeah. we went up to the Avail reunion shows in Richmond and it was like a fuck. It was like, I never went to a high school class reunion but that was my high school class reunion of going to a veil show is that it was like yeah. the 1990s, like punk rock high school reunion. Like it was like people from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, people from up North came down for that. Uh, people, you know, from my own like school that I hadn't seen since 94 were there who I was like, damn, you, you know, who don't even listen to punk rock anymore, but they were like, I'm going to go see a veil because it was such a, a thing for them to uh, remember, you know, nostalgia in a lot of ways. But they played in Tampa, in St. Pete, actually, which is fucking Tampa, at this huge outside venue. And it was them and Hot Water Music and I think Be Well played. I think that's who it was. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a great show. I expected maybe like 500, 1,000 at the most. I think there was like three or 4,000 people at that show. And it was wow. like everybody was gray haired, gray bearded, and yeah. everybody was singing every fucking song of Avail. And Avail closed that show out. And I was just, it was like, I felt like a kid again. I was getting the goosebumps. I was just so happy for them and happy for myself and happy for like everybody else that was around me. It was just that, that joy it came back of like punk rock energy, you know, again. And like, what we all fell in love with and you know i was sore for like two fucking days of just like standing there like dancing like a cheerleader like bobo you know it was like yeah. it, it was just it was great it was wonderful you know and i i still i'm so glad that they decided to uh you know whatever maybe tolerate each other again <laughs> and get, and get yeah. back on the horse and, and play shows again and you know um i i hope and pray they write new material i doubt it'll ever happen but uh you know we'll see we'll see but yeah i mean it's one of those things like i i don't think as big as i feel about them they were never a big big band mm -hmm. you know and i think that's yeah. might have been why they broke up in a lot of ways there was a hard struggle in those 2000s where you're seeing a lot of bands take off around you uh that were coming up that were younger uh a lot of your peers and then you look back at like that and a lot and some of the bands that were like got courted by the majors in like the 90s too that just never really you're like how did that band not get fucking big you know how yeah yeah it's like even uh when i'm looking at their wikipedia uh, the fact that it puts their origin as reston virginia mm -hmm. and you you're know, like <laughs> which i feel like is like that's the difference. That's the difference than Richmond. You know, there's like a, I feel like that actually explains what I was saying. Like, what were they influenced mm -hmm. by? It's almost like when you're from a small town, like you were saying with Roanoke, you're kind of just influenced by what you can find. And so it's like even a little different. Like I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it's like, mm -hmm. I feel like I had that thing that you were saying 
about you just kind of get into whatever you know you don't have like such dividing lines i could i couldn't really be like i'm only into this style because it's just i wouldn't have gone to been able to go to anything right you know like there was a point even with like it was like i feel like when i started getting into things like metalcore it was like well that's where all my friends go you know so you just kind of went you know <laughs> then you just found things you liked about. yeah that's definitely a yeah. north carolina thing <laughs> yeah i mean it's huge though, but it was like i remember we would go yeah. down to winston-salem and this isn't even metalcore maybe it is i don't know and we would be like playing shows and it would be like a roanoke thing where there's like and you know avail probably experiences too where you look out over the crowd and it's like a diverse mix of kids at the show and we would see kids wearing these shirts and it was like this corn with a backwards k and then they would have the shirt it was Marilyn and we thought it was Marilyn and Manson. Like it was two different people. And we were like, what the fuck is this backwards K corn and this Marilyn and Manson thing. But in Winston Salem, all those kids came out and did our band sound anything like those two bands? Fuck no. But those kids were into that and they wanted to just go to a show with their friends and feel the vibe and have a good time, you know, and you were talking about rest in Virginia and, and being from a small town and stuff like that too. Maybe avails, influence wasn't so much musically as mm -hmm. an influence of trying to get out or rebel against what was Reston, Virginia. Can you can imagine mm -hmm. in like the early nineties being a punk in Reston, Virginia probably was like similar to how it was when I was in Botetot where you were treated like a fucking alien almost. And it was a constant like rednecks and jocks and cops and adults just all being like fuck you you know and like just having so much angst to be like i need to get the fuck out of here and then also getting influenced by uh you know at that time punk you know there wasn't a lot there were there were bands that sang about like you know i remember when i first got green day and i was like holy shit this is a punk band that sings about girls but before that everything that let's do punk was like fight the establishment fight authority i was getting all these abolition records in where you like kent oh, yeah. mccard would have these giant books inside which were like this is the history you're not getting out of the history class at school um and so you felt empowered you felt educated you felt like i could go back to school and be like fuck you we're not talking about the indigenous people of this land we're not talking about police brutality we're not talking about you know the the, the wrongs of slavery in in school but these like weird records we were getting through you know abolition and things like that uh we're talking about that kind of stuff you know and i think that could have been it too and i don't want to speak for them in any way but i think that's one of the reasons why we related as a bunch of little lost redneck kids that were just you know felt like outcasts uh, that avail was kind of that too they still had this like southernness about them but they weren't uh -huh. yeah. southern rock you know mm -hmm. um i don't know <laughs> yeah through through like all all of the run because i checked out some of the later kind of revisited some of the later records and in my head just based on them being like i i would have expected to almost go back and pick up those things to kind of like pick up on like kind of southern tones that you know we're kind of used to but they don't really lean too much into it i feel like they they have a tradition of kind of like telling a story correct but also i think i'm kind of projecting some to what tim barry did later on because yes. like they stay pretty like tried and true like punk band with 
you know, being a melodic punk band and you know, I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent thinking about them as opposed to like kind of epifat kind of bands like epitaph fat records kind of things like you know it's it's interesting to kind of like think of them wanting to I, I don't even know if they wanted to kind of be that type of band or even if they tried if they could have done it like i feel like no matter what they do they're gonna be avail they're gonna be like what's on i think those bands yeah. especially the california ones looked at avail as like holy shit they're doing something different and i think a lot of it comes down to like when you look back especially at like satiate and dixie too like you know there was only one guitar player joe banks in, in avail and he was really unique with like the structures and what he would play in guitar like the weird noodly stuff like like and then it would just be like what the fuck is this part and it would just break into this blistering like punk rock and tim's going nuts and like but their songs also were anthematic in a lot of ways and i think that's what drew a lot of people to avail they're a sing-along band without a lot of like the like cheesiness of a lot of the west coast stuff you know yeah yeah it wasn't a bro him in a lot of ways yeah, you know it was, yeah, yeah it's not it, but it was a hymn in a sense you know uh and and avail also would do fun shit at their shows like having Bo on stage just energized people um they would always also when they came to town it seemed like they were always doing a different cover song and the covers would be like a john mellencamp song you know and yeah. it would that was kind of cool it was like the like oh, you're so punk, but you still are like throwing a vibe to Mellencamp. You know, everybody knows Pink Houses, you know, and stuff like that. So, or they would play a Violent Femme song, you know, and it was just, <laughs> they made shows fun. They made going to see punk rock fun, you know, and I remember around that time period of this record coming out, it could have been around then. I mean, I looked at to look it up that this came out in June, but to me, I felt like it came out before then maybe. Yeah, I just feel well, I like think that, that year, that was like the year I graduated high school. That was the year, first year we went on tour. And I just feel like we were, we had to have been listening to that record. I feel like maybe it was after that tour because it came out in June or right then. But it just felt like such an influential thing. Like it was like the soundtrack of the summer. Um, yeah. And then during that time period too, like we were doing, like that's the first time Bouncing Souls came through. And we did like a small show for bouncing souls in the same place that we would do a veil you know it was like upstairs of a weird chinese restaurant called the secret garden and bands played on the floor and, and yeah. that was it you know yeah looking at it um so they well this is listed on wikipedia so who knows uh it said it was recorded in june 1994 and it was released in september 1994 uh but what's interesting is kind of like thinking of how short of a time frame that is like compared to now from the point of it being recorded oh, yeah. to like coming out like like if i envision like if we went into the studio tomorrow it's like to get a finished product it's not going to be out for at least a year you know? yeah and like if you include uh pressing plants and pressing plants would have been included in this equation but to like think about it actually being released and what three months essentially or four months and think about this one on three formats yeah because there was like lp cassette and cd back then 
Yeah. I'm but I also think, yeah, the the kind of release date around this time and then even earlier was a little bit like, you know, <laughs> I feel like sometimes with smaller bands, it was a little bit up in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, even like when you look at like Chromax, there's like a dispute on like when a certain version of it was released, you know, so it's almost like a year before, you know, so it's like you kind of it's like you kind of make a tape version of it, then you sell that at tours and then. Yeah, finally, you know, finally we get all our stuff back and then the actual uh, release comes out. But seeing that it was recorded four months before this, that's really And I know definitely between Dixie and Satiate, their first album, I want to say there was one, if not two, seven inches um, that came out. And those were like where you kind of saw this shift in a veil being a little bit more, a little heavier a little bit more sounding pissed about things where satiate was really melodic. And I, I think came out of the rest in years. I mean, there's like a, a re I, I might be the last song on that record of the satiate. Record. I know we're talking about Dixie, but to mm-hmm. see how, how yeah, things yeah. change where it's just like almost this weird, like ballad that Joe sings about a candle in the, in the window or something. I want to say candle in the wind, but it's not, you know, yeah. but it's like, if you go back and listen to that, you'd be like, no, that's not a veil. No way. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it, it was a time. You know, you also got to think too, when a veil first started as a band, Tim wasn't even the singer. He was just a drummer. Oh, they yeah. had a different yeah, singer yeah, yeah, yeah. in the early years. Um, and I think that's how it transformed. Like, you know, when we first saw a veil too, you got a front man who's, you know, very, very uh, lively on stage. You've got Bo up there too, as all like a second front man. And then Tim's also got a snare drum up there and like a tom, and he's like beating on that too in certain certain parts of the songs. So it was just like something completely different than this. Like, you, it was very youthful, you know. When a lot of times mm-hmm. in the punk scenes, uh, there would be like, oh, here's the old man punk band who's like playing, and they got their leather jackets and they're like playing like, you know. At the time, it probably sounded really good, but from us, it didn't sound any different. There was no like angst behind it and that's all you are in that time period living in in small towns is just full of angst you know you want something to like inspire you and set a fire under your ass you know we would just sit in like high school with like lyric books at lunch class and like look at stuff and talk about records and and things there wasn't you know there wasn't a way to to talk to anybody except for at punk shows or to be on tour you know um in those ways so when you say this came out in September, I probably have more of a vision of being the same way, but being a freshman in college uh, in 94 during that fall and having that record and, and, and talking about it just as much with the, you know, going to college was very much still like high school in those times too. Like you might've run into like one or two other punks at, at, at school, uh, you know, to expand on who else you knew from high school that didn't even go to the same college. I don't know. Yeah, I bet with also with that time frame, it's like if they recorded it in June, who's to say like I don't know what they spent like two days on it or something, or recorded it in a day because that's what a lot of bands did at that time. Yeah, because you couldn't afford you know, it. It had to. Yeah, it's like it had to have made itself on tape. So it is possible that like who knows how many people like either were given a tape or either like then then made a copy of that copy of the copy and so it's like by july 
you know, <laughs> most of Virginia could have had some version of it. Yeah, you know? I remember. We, the, I mean, that was common. We would go to Richmond even if we weren't playing, just to go up there to see like a veil and stuff. And Tim would be like, "Hey, you want to come over to the house?" And like we would go over there and hang out, and we were just like would hang on his like every word of him telling us like basically he kind of taught us like hey if you're going to be in a touring band this is how you do it like this is how you take care of the families you stay with you know you always leave a note you always clean up after yourselves you leave a merch package you know you this is how you take care of bands that take care of you you do a show for them when you come back you know it wasn't this like oh you're a band you're a rock star look at me it was more of the other side of it where he was just trying to like you know he's still he's just still that kind of person he's very humble and very sweet you know and wants to see the good in everyone um and so it could have been one of those things where we were at his house and he was like hey check it out what do you think of the new record you know i just don't remember it that way uh, yeah but yeah. also the yeah. years of like <laughs> have gone by that sometimes <laughs> i don't remember things that i should um back then so yeah yeah i think that's kind of interesting um him i mean it's like he's known to be that guy but i think about like the way i was raised in uh wilmington and there weren't a lot of people like kind of give showing you the ropes Mm -hmm. at least in my experience you know like i think there are a lot of times you know i guess it depends it probably still happens now but i feel like it's easier to it's obviously easier to find this information but you were really lucky if you had a guy that was just like, Hey, this is the book you need, or, you know, get, you know, like uh book your own fucking life. Very thing. much and, so. You know, like, uh, like just to have that little push mm-hmm. was like, so, so important. Yeah. It was like a big know? brother type thing in a lot of ways where he was like, um, very much like you can do this. It's feasible, you know, get book your own fucking life, call people up, and, and and hustle and go on the road it's it was like it's enjoyable he would always tell us though don't don't follow me in the hopping trains thing he would always tell us don't oh, okay. don't do that shit you know and i'm saying this is the influence he had on us and we didn't even live in richmond you know what kind of influence did avail have on the bands that were actually from richmond that came up underneath or were peers at that time period and that's a whole different you know uh, element you know we we had very far and few between interactions directly with the veil compared to probably bands like inquisition amberetta um fun size you know uh even like early days probably municipal waste you know those yeah, those yeah, guys were in yeah. a band called a high school band called james river scratch jrs oh, that's and right. they, yeah, they yeah. probably you know if you talk to foresta he's probably got way more you know stories about that um and I'm probably forgetting a billion other Richmond bands at that time period, mm-hmm. but you know, they definitely had an influence on, I think the Richmond scene and Dixie being that, that album, I think was just like the, like from start to finish, it's, it's, it was directly the, the, the record that avail needed to do. And a lot of people say over the James and I agree, that's a phenomenal album as well. But uh, I think Dixie was the one that just like, it was like, just jumped up from satiate of like this what and i believe satiate was like put out by themselves so for us too it was like holy shit they're on this label lookout you know and that was right kind of like that time period where green day was up i think uh you know 
I remember seeing, it had to have been 94, maybe 95, Avail and, and Rancid together. And they did a split seven inch, I believe too. Um, and they played together in a small like bar type place in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, and we went, in fact, I have a, a photo, a black and white photo from that show up there on the wall. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And uh, that was just wild uh, that, that, you know, because for us, it was like Rancid was like, oh, it's the new Operation Ivy band, you know, yeah, and yeah. for a veil to be playing with Rancid. And that was another thing, too, like Rancid just, you know, after that year, you know, MTV caught them. And then next thing you mm-hmm. know, like. So it had to have been before then because we went to college orientation had to have been in summer of 94. If I started in fall of 94 and we went and saw Rancid play in, in Virginia beach the night before college orientation, like drove four hours out of the way to go see it and drove back and slept in our car overnight before college orientation. Uh, so that was like Rancid was way bigger then. I think it was op- it was Offspring and Rancid. Um, yeah, Rancid opening up for Offspring at the time, which yeah. was like the biggest yeah. biggest fucking band, you know, besides Green Day at the time. Uh, yeah, it is still interesting to kind of think of bands like who they want to associate before like kind of those those tracks are laid by like the industry and kind of like kind of force them to go in a certain direction like you know rancid playing with the veil like it's it's inter it's just interesting to me because it's like i feel like in my mind they're the most different things in a way mm-hmm. within punk you know it's but it's like i love those time frames where before like the industry or like their own fans kind of start pushing things away and you could have just seen all these bands play shows together well i think it was just yeah. less back then there yeah. were less so you just kind of less <laughs> punk bands and so the options of playing you know you almost had touring during that time period you almost played with bands that were like-minded on their values and and level of, of like you know who they played for more so than stylistically that makes mm-hmm. sense like you would go to a show yeah, yeah, and totally. there'd be like a hardcore band and then a pop punk band you know and then uh, a ska band and they would all fit on the show together um yeah yeah and that's like i feel like how i was raised for it to be yeah. like you didn't you know it's just that's what you did and then you know when i there's kind of like insight with talking to younger people they're like that's weird those bands playing together even like mm-hmm. we get that a lot as a band like but it's like where we you know there was like times early on in late bloomer where we played with like shitstorm but that was normal for us right like we were like why wouldn't we? it's like we would you know? we would come through and in south carolina we would always play with inhumanity which was like this crazy grindcore band and then we were like weird fun party type band with horns like it just did if you think about it it's like, why the fuck are these two bands playing the same show but it was like people's palettes were a lot more diverse back then i think because there wasn't as much you were just into the fact that oh my god here's a a independent punk band and you know we could all be bitter and old and get our canes out about it and say well man mtv really ruined that you know and like these bands blowing up ruin it but did it i think it actually helped that there's more people that are into 
a different kind of music you know and what you yeah. know we could go down this thing of like well what is even punk anymore you know it's like avril Levine is up there like singing you know <laughs> stuff yeah. and it's just like but you know it's just it was so long ago jesus christ <laughs> yeah I, well i was thinking too like where you were talking about you know early on with like swank how like red hot chili peppers was like such a big thing in like the punk scene because they were viewed as a punk band but now to think of that with context now yeah <laughs> seems strange but like you know, there's so many bands, like I was reading something the other day, and they're like, oh yeah, we wouldn't have been a band without, I can't remember who it was, but they were like, we wouldn't have been a band without Red Hot Chili Peppers, you yeah. know? Like, and it seems strange, but it was such, like, a big influence on, like, that scene. Well, yeah, so I mean, at that time, yeah. if you look at, like, okay, what was mainstream music in, like, the, you know, early 90s, you know? And then you mm -hmm. look at, like, what was kind of considered the alternative breakout with like, you know, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers being one of the first ones to come up. I mean, they're really, realistically, Red Hot Chili Peppers is like an 80s band, right? Yeah, yeah, you know? pretty early. Faith No More, like, same, yeah. same yeah. too. You know, they were a band out of the 80s into this, uh, you know, that came came up and like were different, you know, Nirvana and, you know, the whole grunge movement too. But even before that, there was a lot of stuff that was still on major label and were accessible in mall stores and, and things like that. Uh, so I think from that was this backlash of underground DIY scene that came up uh, from that, you know, and I think a lot of that kind of got lost in that early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, you know, we're diverse back to what we were talking about earlier in conversations, but why wasn't a band like Avail or Hot Water Music bigger back then? Um, and it's simple or get up kids or things like that. We were talking about that they tried to put onto like this big giant punk rock music festival warp tour. And I think it was because that one big wave of push came through like a tsunami uh, of like, here's all these, these punk bands that made on majors and they're on MTV and here's this thing. And so then it didn't become a subculture. It was the culture at the time. So, everybody was into punk and it became more palatable um and then bands started becoming more easy to listen to and so then that wave of that 2000s was like the two two different worlds of like you know you've got all these like bands like good charlotte and a simple plan i'm not, probably not even naming the right bands because i hated yeah, all yeah. that shit at the time i mean yeah fallout boy you know things like that like, mm -hmm. were super huge because it was just so accessible it was pop is what it was, you know? Yeah, Under the, very cleaned up. It, like, it was pop, but it looked like that cool skater boy at the mall, you know? Oh, that's what the, the senior in high school, the hot hot guy on the football team looks like now. Um, so out of that became your whole, what you were calling like the metalcore movement and things like that. Yeah, And that was the, the, the flip of that, you know? It was like, well, fuck you. You're the jock, the prep in school. And you listen to those type bands, that punk stuff. So I'm going to listen to this. You know, there's a, there's two different paths. I think of people in general. There's the people that want to like roll with the pack and be like, okay, well, this is what's popular. This is what everybody likes. I'm going to go this route. And then there's the fuck that and wants to do something different. I always said that like in the subgenre of music, like whatever is super popular at the time, 
the exact polar opposite the 180 of that is what's going to be popular in this in the in the smaller genre and stuff yeah yeah what's what's interesting though is i feel like like when a band like avail starts or even like hot water music in it let's say like they were listening to like ebullition bands so that a lot of their context through recording were like like the punk kind of thing like they would just you go in for a day that's all the music or the all the money you have you know but like the west coast some of the bigger label things you're like we pre-pro for like a week or so mm-hmm. and then we go into recording like the context was so different but then as kind of the shift went to more mainstream culture both avail and let's say I, I don't even know well like just any epitaph band that kind of was going more radio friendly and not even a discredit to them but they would be kind of put in the same box and almost like sell as well but like a band like avail was never built for that contact no and also like i a, think the fact that they yeah. weren't on like an epitaph that they went from yeah. lookout to fat it was like both of those labels were really just wanted bands to be the bands that they are and they mm-hmm. might have had a few that came out that they could like kind of push but in the long run they weren't like the machine that like a punk rock like epitaph was or that a yeah, major was, label was yeah. so that wasn't like i can't see anybody sitting in a thing being like well, we got this avail record coming out. What's single? What's the single going to be? You know, it wasn't. It wasn't that. You know, and and you know it, it, that had to have been the frustration. You know, I didn't have that experience because I stopped playing. But to be in that punk band to where, in that time period, you're just like, dude, we are sucking wind over here. We want to be a band full time, and we want to tour and we want to do this, but we're struggling. You know, and it's, it, it brings up those as you get older and the more the bills come in and, you know, and you're trying to make it work and you see other people that were your peers surpass you and are just blowing up. It's got to be hard. You know, it really, really puts attention within a group of people that, you know, you start a band during that time period and punk not to make money, but just to be creative and to do something sometimes with your friends, you know, uh, but that pressure comes on, you know, what, what's that album? How are sales? How's it, how's it a sound yeah. scanning, you know, and things like yeah. that, you know, um, is it getting in capped at FYE at the mall, you know, and that was, a, that was the language in that time period. And that was the push during that time period. And uh, it, it was, it was hard for a lot of those bands, you know, and I feel like some of them, like we talked about earlier, like Avail are going to do better now than they ever ever did you know as far as like monetary wise you know yeah maybe it's also because we're older now and can afford higher ticket prices and to pay thirty (laughs) dollars for a t-shirt you know i don't know if that's how much our shirts cost now i'm just saying that they might be Uh, but what i think about though in compare comparatively i mean i i don't know because i've never seen them it's like but you i don't know if you would see if you would see a band like seaweed kind of like have that impact that kind of avail did like you know i'm trying to think of like the west coast counterpart of something like avail like and if it would hit people in kind of the same way i think for me like seaweed was one of those bands that's a good uh, kind of like level of bands that's like sonically was similar in a lot of ways yeah really close but similar um but that's like a band that was completely, you know, even though they were on a major, just I feel like Avail had a bigger draw than Seaweed during those times. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, it just did, they, they, they never took well to major. Same with like Jawbox. You know, Jawbox went that major label route who are not very far from where Avail was. But I think Avail just surpassed them at that time period of being able to play more shows and do more stuff. Um, I think like early at the drive-in was like a younger band that was like kind of on that same like energy level as Avail. And when, oh, and when okay, they okay. tour, you know, in the, in the Texas area and stuff like that, and going out to the West Coast, I could see that being very similar during that time period. But then at the drive-in, just like took off, you know, once they got the the the, the industry buzz behind them. Um, and it was, you know, very well merited. They, they put on such a crazy show. You'd walk away from at the drive-in show and you were just like, I haven't seen anything like this, you know? Um yeah, that's never been the kind of as much as I love Jawbox, that's not the story you get. Like anyone I hear going to Jawbox, you don't feel like you get like the thing of like they were so amazing. I mean, they're really good live, but it's not like a energy thing. It's like a musicianship kind of right. Like I was thing. talking about at the yeah. drive-in and the veil, like the energy. Yeah, the but energy level. I'm thinking yeah. of the the connection between that though. It's making me realize like how the energy level can kind of like carry a band potentially like over the hump depending on the context we're talking of like uh, comparing seaweed to avail and then as you compared it to at the drive-in i'm like oh that's the kind of live context mm -hmm. that kind of like pushes it to a thing that becomes like legend in a way that i don't think seaweed has been able to right and i think at the, the drive-in kind of got all that hype too because it yeah, was yeah. okay beastie boys are going to start their own record label and they're they're talking to this band called at the drive-in oh what the fuck you know and that was like kind of like this big hype behind that band during those early 2000s like holy shit that band who was small and playing house shows and you know very much on the, the book your own fucking life tours is now getting courted by beastie boys it was just yeah. it built to that kind of like i don't know how to describe it but even if you didn't yeah. know who they were it was like oh well i need to check that band out you know because, I mean, they were on, what, Kung Fu Records or some weird fucking label like that? Who, at the drive-in? Yeah. Uh, they were on, well, Casino's the label that Beastie Boys did, right? Grand Royale. Grand Royale. And their record okay. never came out on Grand Royale. Oh, it was okay. supposed to, yeah. and I think Grand Royale just folded or some shit. But the yeah. In Casino Out or whatever that record is, I think it was, That's I think it was on, yeah. like, a small, like, punk west coast label like kung fu or some strange shit like that huh. that just was like what that really doesn't make much sense either um but in, in in a time period i'm just trying to think of like bands that like had that kind of weird like energy that could still like play you know the club with rancid but would still go to biloxi mississippi and play in the fucking little house trailer for a bunch of biloxi punks um, yeah flip side was the label so that was that it came so that was a record that was a magazine that was like a big west coast music yeah. magazine at the time so they yeah that, that is strange to think i mean it's like i knew they did releases but i i didn't kind of like put them together mm -hmm. you know and i know fearless reissued uh that's what it was not kung that, fu that's fearless a, yeah but same kind of in that kind of orbit i feel like at that time yeah i as as anyone kind of listening can tell sometimes i get obsessed with the idea of like why just the zeitgeist i guess is the way to put it 
pick certain bands over others? And it's like, there's no answer to it. Well, you know, there's no way to really answer I think that question. Uh, during that time period of like the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of it had to deal. It wasn't as much of the band. It was as much of like the industry that was pushing in a lot of yeah. ways and how it was pushed. Um, and that's that was a lot of it. I know at the drive-in had like really, really savvy and hip management at that time. Um mm-hmm. I want to think the guy's name was like Blaze or something like cool. that. Um, <laughs> and I only know this from like the, the you know, the Fruba Ramen days. And before Fest, I had this like really fucking pothead idea that I was going to do a whole traveling tour. And like I had it all kind of set up and at the drive-in was one of the bands that was going to be on it because they were like a small band at the time. And uh-huh. I worked like all summer on this and talked to all these management people and agents and stuff and was like going to do this and then my anchor band at the time that was like my friends that everybody wanted to go on tour with and and do this stuff with bailed and then all the like mid card bands from like jimmy world hot water at the drive they all were just like no nah, we're not we're not gonna do that again and so it was like very yeah. defleeting for me but uh i remember i think the guy's name was blaze but he was super cool about it and he was like i totally get your vision this would be perfect for this band like we'll go and do all these things. And it was like this harebrained scheme that I was going to do this, like not warp tour and go to like a ragtag Mad Max version. It was like, these are the bands that I like that are getting the attention on warp tour. We're going to do like our own warp tour, but we're going to go to college campuses. And I was still like young enough to think that like college, you know, was the way to go because I'm like college campuses have money, but also yeah. would let us like have this whole, like, you know, there's college radio stations and a group of people that care about this music and we could like pull it together and have like screen printing workshops and workshops on how you could like better your college radio station and all this stuff. Uh, I just, I was, I was, that was like my first year of getting in the pot. So you feel creatively invincible during those time periods. Yeah. I feel like in a way, uh, I feel like that could have worked, but what it would have potentially needed behind the scenes is almost like some very rich guy's money and so that you was know, the thing we a... were going to do it as like a diy thing with no rich guys then that would be that be it was so like crazy. no rich guys money kind of thing we had yeah. a booking agent and we were just going to like basically split it all amongst all the bands and it was it was a fun thing to, to really work on and i think it helped me kind of get that like headspace around like the creativity to be able to later do fest uh, mm-hmm. uh but at the same time it was very much like if i if i went back and f- could find that notebook of like which bands we actually confirmed and had on it it was like it'd be like what that would have been such a game changer the fact that like i can look back and be like we had bands like jimmy world and and at the drive-in confirming and get up kids and things like that just be like yeah we're gonna do that like just to brazil was gonna it was like what like is nuts to think about yeah but did you have a name for it we were gonna call it set of fire oh. <laughs> <laughs> just just uh, yeah we're setting a fire to the you know it was yeah it was so were you were already inspired like inspired by a chili's in... menu <laughs> <laughs> so you were already living in the gainesville area at that time i think i was in transition 
um, I was just getting ready to move to Gainesville. It was like that transition from when I was leaving Virginia and, and deciding to move to Gainesville. Um, no, it was the first year I lived here because I was working at Fuelbot Ramen at the time, I think. But this was like a side thing I was doing. Ramen was kind of not really that involved. I would stay up late and work on it. Oh, okay. But we're getting sidetracked yeah. off of the Avail. Well, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I'm kind of curious of uh, like the transition from in it if we can if we have any way to type to Avail. But like thinking of you like booking on around that time. So like, were you booking shows on a local level in yeah. like Roanoke? Um, okay. Oh, in Roanoke, growing up, yeah, we pretty much. I was like the guy who booked the shows for our band, which ended up that's how you got other shows out of town was to book the yeah. shows for other touring bands and book your own fucking life was how you did it. Mm-hmm. It was like that magazine that came out once a year from M- uh, MRR put it out. And it was just basically like a Rolodex of self-submitted contact information for every city in the United States. And it might've went yeah. past the States. I don't remember. Uh, but that was like the kind of, that was the guide and the guys to doing it. And it was like a lot of trial by fire and a lot of screw ups and a lot of like, you know, trying to do stuff, but those were the connections that were made, uh, over those years and how all the old folks that we knew back then were from that, um, things, you know, when I moved to Gainesville, it was kind of like by default, I was doing a lot of shows because I booked so many in Virginia, um, and was heavily uh, dealing with stuff up there that when I moved here, everybody's like, Hey, you live in Gainesville. Can you do a show for me? I mean, I think like in the first like month or so I lived here, strike anywhere, called me up and they're like, Hey, we're a band now. We want to play. And I couldn't find any space to do it. So we did it in like a coffee shop. Um, and they played with as friends rust. And I think there might've been uh-huh. 20 people at that show. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, yeah, that kind of story is more what I'm used yeah. to. Like going back to thinking of when you're saying like, 300 people went to see a veil. I'm like, I'm more used to the story of like, you know, like you're saying with strike anywhere. Yeah. It's like 20 people came. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> for like strike for a band that's like huge. I'm now, trying to think like, of like who else came through in those times. I want to say we did a show for, for Snapcase, And that, you know, we probably had a hundred plus people at that show. Um, I think we did a good riddance show or that might've been when I was in high school, I did a good riddance show um same there was never like a big there was never success like i never i never and i still to this day outside of fest i think i've done a show where it was like i'm doing this as a promoter i'm gonna make money it was like you're doing it to help people out and to do shows you know in fact you'd probably come out of pocket most of the time for doing them um but that was just that time you know and it was like we, we you initially were doing it to bring stuff to your town and to also, you know, to benefit your band that you're playing in. So mm-hmm. you could, yeah, so yeah. you could get other shows out of town, you know, that's, that's really yeah. how it was, you know, if the bands paid you back, which, which yeah. shows, yeah. there's uh, a few bands yeah. out there that still, I'm like, man, you know, you never hooked us up, man. <laughs> like you should call in those favors now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, I, years of doing these podcasts and and rehashing these old memories with folks like yourself i've always wanted to like kind of pull together like a somebody should a book or a a doc or something just on that like 92 to 96 southeast 
it's such mm-hmm. a small subsection of punk during those times but it was also so small and so diy and then you look at like who came out of it and really nobody huge came out of it yeah but the stories and the influence and it's like the things that were going on and it was almost like it's i think it would be unfathomable to like punks or teens and and you know college age people now to be like hold on what y'all did this and that's how it was yeah yeah it tied it i feel like that time frame and uh i i feel like it tied into so many other things it's just that thing we were saying at the beginning you just kind of played with whoever you could i wonder if wrangling that kind of story would be hard in a way that's like what's kind of the part you would like stop like if you if you kind of like picked inhumanity you know, like what's what's kind of like? Do you stop before you get to something like anti scene? That's not part of that story. I don't know yeah. because there's definitely there's definitely uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's also like there's a, sometimes where it ages out and becomes somebody else's story. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways because yeah. like because uh, you know when I kind of aged out of Virginia and moved to Gainesville, there's like a whole nother you know realm of like a next generation that came up of bands out of like Gainesville and Richmond area that became like just that still that connection of of you know the southeast you know if we're just focusing on that world uh that still took care of each other you know a whole different wave of people like if I I talk about the 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 bands of like hot water and who they were connected with in the Richmond scene. And then you talk about when against me came up and who they were connected in with in the Richmond scene. It's like two different worlds, you know? Yeah. Because it was just like, you know, a gap of like four or five years. Um, But I still think it's the same overall encompassing story of like how people are just helping people. And there wasn't like this big industry machine behind it, especially here in the mm-hmm. Southeast. And I think that goes back to like, you know, what you were talking about with, you know, to circle it back around with a veil and maybe even Dixie and stuff like that too. It's like, they were that band that were still considered really big in the Southeast because they just pounded this area. And this was like their touring stronghold was the Southeast in a lot of ways. Um, for them to go out to West Coast, you know, even with the backing of, of Lookout. I don't think it was, and I'm just guessing, I don't think it was that big besides a little bit of influence I saw on that Warp Tour. But that's also Warp Tour. It's like that time period, I don't remember who the fuck was on Warp Tour, but I think like fucking Kid Rock was on it or something, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. If, if yeah. it wasn't Kid Rock, it was something like that, you know, <laughs> that was on there. I mean, Eminem could have been on that fucking tour for all I remember. Uh yeah. But it was like, is this the right thing? And I remember talking with Avail and talking with Hot Water and everybody just kind of feeling deflated. I mean, they, they everybody was driving themselves and those drives are fucking long as fuck. And then you pull into a, an area and you've driven all night and it's hot as hell in the summer. I mean anybody listening to this that went to warp tours back then you remember how it was as an attendee imagine driving all night and then there's nowhere for you to sleep you don't have this big tour ac tour bus you're in a van what do you yeah you're basically in a parking lot yeah. and then the sun beats down on you and you're uh parked next to a tour bus you know and it's like i never went to any of them but this is the experience yeah. people tell me and it's like you never 
usually because of the budgets that you're paid in it's like you're never able to kind of recharge yourself like no it was just you drain you drive through the night you dehydrate yourself then you're still dehydrated and you go to the next city and the cycle continues. yeah and you're playing at one in the afternoon on some weird outside stage (laughs) and nobody gives a shit you know and i just remember just talking to those bands at the time and i think that's why i kind of like i got this like fired in my butt to try to do something different because i was like you're just you know you're struggling harder than anybody else on this tour and you're pushing it, but you're not getting the recognition that I feel like you deserve. Uh, yeah. And-, and that was a perceived like definite next step for a lot of these bands. Like this, that was the successful step. That was, that was what Warped everybody tour. was pushing yeah. towards. So it was like, everybody was like, you got to do work tour. you got to do it. You got to do it. And there were some bands that su- successfully did that. Like a prime example, when I toured Less Than Jake, the first year that they were on it, a lot of these cities they had never really been to on that kind of scale. They were still a very, very small band playing in like church basements and stuff. Uh, and then they went on that warp tour. And because the way that their live show was and the way we took it up a notch and went weird with it, they won fans over. And then they became kind of like, you know, after years and years and years of doing it, they became this like attraction show. You might not even have a lesson Jake record, but you're going to go see those weirdos on the stage, you know, and that's how they kind of set apart and were able to like transcend into that world. And, and still to this day, they're like one of those passed down punks that still put on a crazy live show and they, they still draw well, and they're still able to support themselves and, and do those things. Um, but like you get somebody that's like hot water or a veil or at that time, like get up kids. And even like Jimmy world, that was shocking to me. Like they just didn't have that draw because they didn't have that radio hit yet. Really. Um, it was just, that was the perceived thing, you know, and there was some bands that it broke them to do that thing, you know, yeah, I... they would tour and they'd be out there. I mean, there were bands. I remember, fuck i can't remember the name of the band but it was like a band i think that was even on fuel by ram at the time that didn't even play warp tour they just drove around followed warp tour and they would stand in the parking lots and sell their cds for like two three dollars and walk around with headphones and a discman and be like while people were waiting to get in and be like yo check out my cd wow. and would make enough money to yeah. get to the next city and that's some hustle right there yeah yeah can't fathom that now i can't can't even imagine but like thinking about like when avail like avail started in 87 and they broke up in 2007 so it's like by the time they're getting to kind of that 2000s warp tour thing like by the time they broke up they had been a band for 20 years yeah like it's wild i know they started super young and it kind of plateaued for them and that was the thing or maybe even like the tide might have gone out a little bit you know the wind out of the sails and it's 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 crazy to think like when i think about one of the most influential bands for me in my lifetime and one of my favorite bands of all time to think that they were never really a big band you know there's still i feel like by us you know trying to like like their fest set will be fucking bonkers because i feel like fest is kind of like one of the the last frontiers in that way like there's enough punks that are similar to what what maybe what i like and they'll, they'll come but then i think yeah. too if fest is 20 years old 
and Avail is like 30 plus years old, there's going to be some younger folk that come to Fest. They're like, who's this band? You know, yeah. Are they going to really want to go? Who knows? That's the, the, the beauty of seeing how it'll, how it'll be, how it'll turn out. Yeah. In context, I try and think about it because I feel like Avail was a band that I had to go back and listen to because, and I'm not, I'm not young, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I feel like by the time I, you know, kind of really was like, who's this band? They were already broken yeah, up for a lot of or people. They were like on the, yeah. And so it's like, I went back, I got, you know, King's head in. You know, and I got, you know, some of the early stuff and it's like, you know, and but I heard all these stories, but I never got to hear it in that way yeah. or see it firsthand. You know, so even I'm just kind of putting that in the context of like then somebody that's like now in their 20s, you know, going to see him now. It's like there's even a bigger kind of divide. Right. Are they going to be if you put yeah. a veil on, are they going to want to go see a veil or are they want to go see turnstile? You know, which which one, yeah. you know, both are equally as fun and awesome. And I think in some kind of ways, similar as far as the energy and the hardcoreness of it all and and being a little weird and on the outside. Uh, but, you know, does that transcend? Can you take a young 20 year old right now and give them that record and be like, yo, what do you think of this? I don't I don't know that, you know, I do know that when yeah. I went and saw him in St. Pete, like I was saying, everybody was gray haired, and gray beard. But the yeah. young folks I did see there were obviously the sons and daughters of the people that were there to see Avail. Yeah, they're like, yeah, I'll go with you, dude. Yeah, and they might have been influenced <laughs> by that. But I was like, you know, I'm 46. I could have told you, you know, my son's three months old right now. But I hope that when he's in his 20s, I could be like, hey, check this out. And he'll be stoked and want to go, you know, see punk bands, you know. It, it probably won't be available 20 yeah i, 20 th years I think about now. that because i have like friends that have kids and then they're you know they'll basically do the thing where they're like oh, i can't really get my kid into led zeppelin or whatever and i'm like your kid shouldn't be in the led <laughs> no. zeppelin you know like they should be listening to like marshmallow yeah. or something or like so you know some sort of like thing i don't even you know i don't even know like it should be something that like you're like i don't know what that is I, you know it's like i think there's you know and i hope they come around to these things but i we can't expect you know <laughs> also i think you know i look back on like that everybody like wants to like i love this i want to share it with you it's like i feel the same way it's like kind of like that like weird like you know mixtape trade i still have in me or the college radio dj i have on me or the why i curate fest the way i do i hope that people are not just taking the big names and and really diving deep and curating and i hope they find something in there uh but as a dad, I, I really don't want to be that dad who just pushes things and is like, you need to like this. You need to like this. Because I felt like my brother did that to me when I was like, he was a lot older. And when, and when I was in sixth grade, like he pushed some stuff on me that now I can look back and as an adult and listen to, and, or even when I was in college and like a little bit better. But at that time I was like, oh, I don't want to listen to your classic rock who record or Zeppelin or Grateful Dead, you know? It just, yeah. it, it was like, I want to listen to Weird Al, you know? I want to listen yeah, to Guns N' Roses, man, you know? Yeah, like, my, my, my brother did a thing to me, and he's not that much older than me, uh, where he would be like, you have, you like have to listen to the Exploited and Crass record. And in my brain at like 12 or something was like, I don't like this. So I purposely started listening to like hair bands and like an ironic sense but then i just really got into yeah. it 
and like just to basically like take the piss out of him like listening to you know that kind of stuff and i've come back around to things like crass but it's like yeah you want to push against it like i guess we're saying like even with the veil tying it back in it's like and i like how he tied it to turnstile because well two there turnstile is a band that have been a band for a long time really and like to see a youth culture kind of you know attaching themselves to it but this is a band that's been around for like 10 years so kind of comparing that in a way and, and a band to me i wonder point. it i wonder not to cut you off but i wonder sometimes whenever i talk you're like i like turnstile a lot i've yet to see them play yeah, i do too i've yet to see them play live i hope i get to i've tried to get them to play fest for years even when they were a band before but i was turned on to turnstile because i was getting a tattoo and my tattoo artist at the time this was years ago was like hey have you heard this band turnstile and i'm like no what is that and i instantly thought it was going to be like this like new york hardcore you know um and he's like dude it's crazy they sound like Snapcase and 311 and i'm like i like both of those things dude please put on <laughs> and they didn't i was like to me it's like it really just because of the vocal center it sounds a lot like Snapcase. now will these same people that like turnstile if you put a Snapcase record on, are they going to have their mind blown the same way? Or is it just kind of a fad thing that, you know, I'm into Turnstile because all my friends are into Turnstile and that's the scene and that's what we're going to. I don't, I don't know. It's like, I, I you can never judge or point or anything like that. But to me, it's, yeah. it's baffling that why isn't somebody like, I've always thought Snapcase was like an amazing hardcore band because they weren't, the standard blueprint for what hardcore was you know what i'm yeah. saying uh because hardcore was such like a, a formulated structure and there's people that are still like i only like this kind of hardcore you know and i think avail to us was still a hardcore band but it doesn't yeah. sound like hardcore all the time you know and so through avail we found out a lot about other hardcore bands and things like that yeah, I I was when I was listening to on to today, like like I was talking about at the beginning, um, I felt like I heard a lot of token entry, but I yeah, think I like whenever that. you, whenever if you were of the age like when you were hearing Dixie, if someone a little bit older than you was like, you have to like token entry, you'd potentially be like, you might take it in, or you might be like, fuck you, old man. Yeah, you know, like it's like. You know, it's but but it's interesting to see like maybe how they kind of redefine. But it. for like you know, there were so many other yeah, things. Yeah, but for know. me and like my friends growing up, we didn't have that older man or that older brother or that kid in high school that were like, check out this is the blueprint of of records you need to listen to. It was like oh, I was saying it was it was very much like Discord Records was here, and then you had a Vale and Richmond and all the Richmond bands, and then you just had like what was on skate videos. And that was yeah. really it as far as like underground punk stuff. So we didn't, a lot of, like I was saying, a lot of that stuff I didn't know until later in life. Like a lot of like, I think it was like when I went to college, like a lot of people like, you know, were like hanging out and they're like, hey, check out this hardcore band or check out even this punk band. Like I'm kind of a poser in a lot of ways because I didn't know this stuff. And I think it made me better in a lot of ways for myself, not better than anybody else, but better for myself to, to be more open-minded. And, and also it's, it's kind of fun to find things a little later in life and to get into certain bands and stuff, instead of having somebody be like, 
like you were saying your brother like you have to to exploit it it's like well how about just listening to punk bands and which one really really you 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 relate to you know like from skate videos we were listening to fire hose um Mm. a lot you know and the weird angular stuff like mike watt and stuff like that 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 appealed to us we're like because it was musically creative and kind of went there you know and maybe that's some kind of like some of the stuff from that those those sst bands kind of like are what like influenced joe from avail in a lot of ways uh yeah you know and then you know i remember the first like west coast punk stuff it was always like bad religion no effects you know but i remember like going into a record store in high school and i had just gotten a turntable and asked the guy behind the turntable uh, behind the counter like hey i want to buy some seven inches like what what's punk and what should i like and he's like you should check this out and gave me the face-to-face no authority seven inch oh, and wow. you listen to that yeah. song by face-to-face and it's like the perfect punk anthem you know yeah, yeah. i want to think like a b-side might have had these boots are made for walking or something on it i can't remember but I, yeah. that was like my first seven inch and i like burned that thing down you know it was like the whole through it so i'm trying to listen to it so much um and it's just those those little bits of influence like everybody has their different things now and i wonder now with like the youth and us breaking our old man canes out again it's like it could almost be there's so much that it's like, how do they even like get a chance to have a say of what they want to listen to or to find things creative or to try to find something that's like even different than what anybody else is listening to? Yeah, I, I think there used to be a point with like people that are almost like 10 years younger than me where it's like, I, I'd be like, hey, you should listen to Downstairs Junior. I think you'd like it. And then be like, oh, whatever. You know, they don't really listen to me. But also to be able to see, I guess because of like social media now, like I'll be able to see them like tweet something like, oh shit, you know, like recently it seems like they get into it. And that's kind of nice. And it's, it has nothing to do with me. And it's like, oh, people are going back. So I hope in a way that younger people, if they're able to find something like a veil on their own terms, then maybe it resonates. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there is that we're pushing. And I think it, that's maybe know? why we're seeing like, you know, when Avail reunites and they're having way bigger shows than they've ever had before. A lot of that could be that, you know, when you have curators, you know, bot curators, excuse me, like uh, like Spotify and things like that. Yeah. That will just be like, oh, you like this, this, and this, check this out and throw it at you. And, you know, it might pop up. And it's like, even though the computer is, you know, taking the algorithm and finding it for you it's very much similar to the punk elder in the scene who's like yo i made you a tape check it out you know uh i don't think there was ever an elder punk in our scene that talked like this and also gave us a mixtape to check out no they had said other things that, <laughs> yeah you know weren't helpful at all god yeah. your band sucks i hate this whole scene yeah. i'm moving yeah they were they were like kids to be better nobody drinks (laughs) sucks yeah uh when when i was coming up in the shows they'd be like oh you guys sound kind of like blood lip but if they sucked (laughs) you know like when i was still in like heavy bands thanks thanks guy but uh yeah i mean i know i've kept you so long and i'm thinking about like no it's fun dude it's like talk about records that much with people and music in general and i'm sorry <laughs> we were really supposed to hyper focus on dixie but you know i kind of like no the way, I, I love I like the way goes, we're just kind of doing big 
throwing paint at the wall like this you know it's 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 fun um yeah yeah you know and it's, yeah. it's it definitely was like you know that time period and if i could if i could express anything to anybody it's it's really like that avail you know was so influential to the punk scene not only in richmond but really the southeast in a lot of ways and uh i think that's why you still see bands that are like you know in their 40s or our age or a little younger that are like stoked that they're back and i i you know there's not going to be many opportunities to see avail and i don't know how long the bubble is going to be floating around before it bursts yeah. <laughs> again uh but if you get a chance you know look up on youtube you know check out some shows now but go back and check out those early ones if they exist if somebody's cut them from tape to this you know check out the live i mean back then nobody really did a whole lot of live stuff and you were talking about you got the live at the king's head inn which was a shithole in like norfolk virginia <laughs> and they put that out i think it was like a 10 inch yeah yeah, yeah. um was that on abolition no, it was on old old glory records, which was kind of like right. kind of like That's abolition right. at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a really good comp on um that old glory to put out called God's Chosen People. Oh, okay. Um, and there's an avail song on that that I think might have made it to the remaster, the lookout remaster, because they put a bunch of other songs from the seven inches and stuff on there um yeah but like yeah for for the sake of like listening to the i I would like stop it at pink houses the john mellencamp cover because it's like this is what the record originally was so that's how mm -hmm. i listened to it but that that is interesting i i love finding those kind of like regional comps uh you know like yeah definitely abolition had like tons of Mm -hmm. them and stuff uh but those are always like really fun to kind of get definitely gives you a snapshot of like what was happening at the time yeah and it was a good opportunity and all those bands back then would put an original song on those comps that weren't you couldn't find on anything else it was like going and finding that weird like japanese b single cd single you know in the 90s at the record store and i think for a lot of those bands too those comps uh helped like anytime we would be like on tour and a lot of bands toured with not only their own material, but they would bring a small distro of records they traded with other bands they played mm-hmm. with. So if, depending on how the reach of the band was, uh, you, you almost had little mini record stores that would come through on tour and help, especially in the small towns where you didn't have the good punk record store. You know, all you had was mall stores and shit. Um, but anytime there were comps, we would always be like, oh, we're buying this comp, we're buying this comp, we're buying this comp, because it was a good way to find out about new bands. Um, and that's really what they were for back then in a lot of ways. And I think that's that whole, that whole thing has just been lost over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Sad. And I guess in some ways it's like, you know, I, I get bummed all the time about not having like comps in the same way, but I guess, you know, I was talking to my wife about it and it's like, well, I guess we have Spotify algorithms mm-hmm. that kind of act as our comps, you know? Yeah, but just even like when I'm thinking about like how influential like Punkorama was to oh, me, yeah. was to me like finding or things. that first fat that, yeah. CD that I think they were just giving those away on that first tour the fat music for fat people the old black and white cover one yeah I think and then like the short songs for short people that uh, was fun the, the, <laughs> yeah those things were like you know that was like 
the because it's like there were only so many times where I had like ten bucks or whatever it was that well, I there was usually like, five back then. Uh, you know, like well, like if I went to a CD store and I'd be like, "What CD do I have? I have the exact money for two of these CDs." But if you got a if you got a comp, you know, then it's sort of like you get to listen to all the bands. Yeah, you know, I get to see what like the Chinkies sound like, mm-hmm. and it's like, would I buy? You know their their record. You know what I bought, whatever it is that we kind of put in, but like then it be able to hear like a veil or something, and you weren't expecting that to be the one that grabs you, and you're like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> there was that's so a whole sub podcast you should do people about <laughs> just like '90s comps and and early 2000 comps, and then how the death of the creative comp went away, how it just turned into this like here's a sampler. Remember, yeah. it wasn't even a comp yeah. CD anymore of like original songs with cool artwork. It was like, it's not even in a jewel case. Here's the free sampler that comes. It's like, that's more like the Spotify mix. Yeah. The comp yeah. The comp I, was like, here's a lot of cool bands and here's a way for us as a record label to have a bunch of bands that aren't on our record label, help spread the word about the record label, or as a record label like a fat, go here's a bunch of new songs from all these bands or yeah. weird covers yeah that's songs. what that's what's interesting about like the comp you're saying with, like god's chosen people is those things are like this is the only place you'll hear these songs mm-hmm. so it like makes so much of an emphasis to be like this is the snapshot of what this is that we've curated yeah. and even that's that's totally different than punkorama because punkorama was still like a kind of like marketing push it was. you know like you know, and it's still like, these are the new bands so we can hopefully sell some of these smaller bands records and stuff. Like, those kind of things, like God's Chosen People and the other comps that, there's so many of them were such a And a lot of them were just like, it, like you were saying, it wasn't to push a record label. It was like, here's our, here's the bands, I run a record label, here's the bands that I like, and I just want to put them all together and share it with you and give them that platform. Another cool thing about them too, like the thing like God's Chosen People, it would be like a big LP comp and then it would come with like a full booklet inside that was eight and a half by 11 and every band got their own eight and a half by 11 page to design their own insert. And some would take that to like their advantage and do all kinds of shit in there. And some would make it just as weird art as they possibly wanted to some would pack lyrics in there some would put more you know it was just another platform within the comp to better get to know it was like almost like a mini zine in there um yeah i wonder if we just sound like archaeologists to like a 20 year old (laughs) (laughs) there was this thing it was paper paper and you fold it and staple it and there was a thing called kinko's (laughs) <laughs> and punks used to yeah. migrate to late night to this place called Kinko's to gather. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like before I let you go, like, you know, I want to like, how do, how do we sum up what fest is to someone that maybe is listening to this and doesn't know and like, how, how can you sum it up in like a couple minutes? Uh, we're at the 20th fest. This is the 20th fest. And that's what so we do. Someone's listening to this and they're like, who's Tony? Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a 20th year of Fest. The Fest is a multiple venue, multiple day, uh, choose your own adventure, uh, punk rock buffet. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. pretty much uh, in a small little town in Gainesville, Florida. Um, 
we have a university here and it's very, very pretty and, and great weather during the fall. And then all the college kids pretty much leave that weekend to go watch football out of town. And then thousands of punks from all over the world come here and it's full of a bunch of not like punks, but more like nerds in a lot of way. Yeah. You find a lot of people that just truly love uh, not the biggest punk bands there are, but really try to like explore music and geek out and talk about bands and talk i think they still do <laughs> I don't know. um yeah. and you know you can see bands play in 150 capacity rooms up to like a 4,000 use of our park so uh i always tell anybody if you want to check it out more we have a website www.thefestfl.com and just go on there and we have 350 some bands playing so if anything just listen to some new music you know, it's not Spotify. Yeah. And before I truly let you go, like I, when I'm thinking about this and like context of everything. And Avail's playing this year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was, I was kind of like, they are playing this year. Uh, Just like how appreciative I am to you um, for like putting my bands on. And I remember there was a point before we were on uh fest where that was like the thing we wanted you know like it was probably like fest seven or something like that or even before like fest five and we were like we heard rumblings like we had friends that would you know take their bikes down there and you know ride around town and they would come back and be like you have to go to fest next year and then like eventually getting to a point where like you know my bands have played almost like every year since like fest 12 or something you know Mm -hmm. and just like how appreciative that I am that I've been able to have that experience and kind of be part of a culture and go down there and like see my friends. So I guess just simply I'm saying thank you to Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for <laughs> actually coming and playing and being such a part of the, the structure as well. You know, um, it's, it's just something, you know, we've done 20 years. Will there be a 21? I always say we take it one year at a time, you know, and it's just, sometimes I'm worried that I get aged out and then I get, you know, opportunities to talk to people like yourself. And I feel like age is just a number in a lot of ways. I feel like everything that we were talking about in 92 is just as relevant in 2022, you know, and within our scene, it's a lot of ways, you know, we're still trying to keep it personable, um, humble, uh, you know, and really try to support each other and hold each other up. And in the end, like I was saying, we're all just a bunch of nerds that really like, a very small subsect of like creativity and music in general. Um, and so what we listen to isn't the, the be all end all, but for us, it is something that just helps us, you know, get through things, you know, and that's just, we just try to showcase that in a lot of ways. Um, and so thanks for being a part of it and letting your bands showcase as well. We need to work a little harder on it this year though. <laughs> I do. i need to to stop getting venues like closing down (laughs) (laughs) well there's nothing you can do about that i guess um but i've seen like people that are younger than me like hat they have a different connection to fest like to be able to see like younger people like you know like kind of the diy scene which is kind of like the new emo scene like they they have a different thing that they go down the fest for than like what it meant to me when I started like when I started going it was bands like Bridge and Tunnel it was you know you know that that kind of that wave you know and then that kind of shifted and it's like 
sometimes I'm like, I don't know who these younger bands are, but like to see the reactions they get and see how excited people get, it makes me feel like this can live past like even me. Yeah. Well, the same thing when we were stoked on bands like Bridge and Tunnel back then, there was older folks that were like, who the fuck is that band? You know? (laughs) And so there's definitely, you know, I, by curating this, it's almost like I get like this boost of youth in a way because i do because of being able to curate this i do get pummeled with a lot of new music and so i do get to hear a lot of new cool stuff and every year i still get this like i don't know big huge heart i'm like oh my god there's still all these cool bands and every year there's a new band that i'm like pulling like you know my friends aside and being like you have to check this band out when they come we gotta go we gotta go you know and then they'll end up playing and I'm like half dead tired and probably don't get to see them, yeah. you know, but I still get, yeah. I still get amped on that. And then it's also the influence of like seeing like a band like Flatliners or Menzingers or Iron Sheik, or I'm trying to think of other bands that are like into it over a band, Algernon playing this year, Algernon Caldwater, yeah. like bands that like started out with Fest and were playing the hundred capacity rooms and are now like huge draws, you know, and I've become like, the elders almost of fest when they were just like the little freshman babies you know Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's really cool that we're able to still have that platform but i think even cooler that every year we still see a lot of people that are you know as old as in their 40s as young as in their 20s still coming together to like appreciate the same broad strokes of, of cool whatever it is punk that we like Welcome back. Thanks again to Tony for coming on the pod. Go check out thefestflorida.com and just check out the lineup. Tickets are still available. Uh, I I would assume if you're listening to this podcast, you know what the fest is. But if you don't, go check it out. Chances are you're probably going or you know know about it. Um, It was great talking with Tony. Always great catching up. Best person. All right. Next time on the pod, we're talking with Lily Mastrodemos of Long Neck, and we talked about Lucinda Williams' album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, so tune in next week. Before I let you go, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do that sort of thing. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.